Hey guys, we are back with the AB Side Podcast. Hi, welcome back. I'm Ben. Hey, I'm Anzi. How are you, Ben? How are you? I'm good, Anzi. How are you? I'm all right. Not too bad. We're releasing this、um, just after Christmas, so we hope that everybody's just had a great Christmas, or maybe you're still in your Christmas bubble right now. Christmas bubble. Oh, oh dear. Hey. <laughs> Or it could be a Christmas buble if you want to go. If you want to go that way, let's let's not go there. Anyway, let's cue the jingle, merry jingle Christmas music. So we're continuing on with our life series,、uh, talking about the different stages of life. So far, we've had new life, childhood, and now. What is it, Ben? What is it? Now we're talking about teenagers. Ooh, teenagers or adolescents, if you want to use the correct terminology. But、um, I thought it'd be really good to introduce to you today our lovely friend,、um, who is now a reverend. He has been ordained.、Um, our rev- our reverend friend、uh, Ollie Ollie Knight. Hey. Hello. <laughs> How are you, Ollie? I'm good. Merry Christmas. Or belated. Merry Christmas! Yeah, Happy <laughs> yeah. New Year. Um, so I guess I guess we're in the middle of a what that in between time. Just finished Christmas before the New Year, and it's a bit of a、it's、weird one. Time it is、I、an like awkward adolescence. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> I see what you've done there. Um, so can you tell us a bit about yourself, Ollie? Okay, yeah, I'm Ollie.、Uh, I'm from. Generation Y, also known as the Millennials.、Um, fun fact: I was conceived in the eighties, but born in the nineties. Oh wow! I'll just I'll just let you think about that for a moment. Also, the awkward phase. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs>、um, and yeah, I'm a youth pastor from the Chinese Church in London.、Uh, I'm not Chinese, but my better half is.、Uh, what else do you want to know? I think. I think that's about that's about it, really, isn't it? <laughs> that's all there is. That's that's everything. Yeah, we figured we'd、um, invite a lovely、uh, youth pastor along to the show,、um, you know, just so that there's two of us on the show, but at least one's a proper one.、Um, <laughs> that's ordained. <laughs> wow. Okay. I think you're a proper one too, Ansi. Oh, thanks, Ben. That's the first compliment I've received from you on the show. Anyhow, or ever maybe.、Um, <laughs> So, guys, I want to know、um, what were you like as teenagers? I was a pretty ordinary teenager. I mean, I suppose what's normal is different for everyone, especially at that life stage. But I was a good boy, <laughs> very focused in school.、Um, I enjoyed learning languages. I was in the Scouts when I was a teenager. Taught me discipline and yeah, I was a good boy. Really,、um, nothing out of the ordinary. Wow. Okay, that's cool. So for me, I was a bit of an awkward teenager.、Um, I yeah, I looked awkward, felt awkward. Yeah, just just awkward in general. <laughs> like I can imagine that. Yeah, I think I think it's it's a bit of a weird one, really, because it's like oh. I want to fit in, but I but I'm Chinese. I look different. I'm I'm not the tallest. I'm yeah. There's all these insecurities. What were you like as a teen, Ben? I I feel like there was like a unless where I grew up in Leicestershire, you go to high school up to year nine, and then you start college in year ten,、uh, and you do your GCSEs at college. So I feel like. When I was in high school, I was very awkward、um, and geeky, and then in college, I felt like that was more of a time to express myself, and I did that with、um, with blonde highlights. So you had blonde highlights and blonde highlights, spiky hair. Yeah, wow. That was my first day of college. That was my like stamping my identity. I'm this guy.、Wow. Yeah. The spiky hair phase, yeah, I definitely had that too.、Yep. So much gel. Yeah. 
so much gel in my hair. Did I ever? No, I don't think I. I, I had. I don't think you would have had spiky hair, would you? No, I had. I had crazy hairstyles. Oh, that's it. I was a. I was a goth back then. You were a goth. I was gonna. That was gonna be my next question. Yeah, what, I was what a goth. Social group? Did you belong to? I was in the weird, the weird emo goth group that didn't really like. Yeah, wasn't really. Did you have? Did you have like really long hair and like Doc Martens? Um, not Doc. Oh, did I? Have? Oh, yes, I did actually. At one stage, I did have Doc Martens. Um, they were affordable back then, somewhat. <laughs> but yeah, long hair, black nails, black eyeliner, black everything. That was me. Do you have a goth song that that went along with that face? So I went from the pop stuff, Hanson, Mbop, all the way to that's that's completely not goth. All the way to corn. I listened to a lot of corn back then. Um, yeah. And then I met Jesus. So that's part of my story. How about you, Ollie? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I just used to listen to really corny pop music in Were you yeah. into the Spice Girls? Do you know what? Spice Girls <laughs> Spice Girls was my first Walkman CD. Oh, bless. Wow. Yeah, you heard it here first. But going back to the conversation at hand, um, which social group or clique were you in during high school then, if any? Did you belong to a group that defined you? I went to a state school in East London, which wasn't among the best academically. But I was one of the kids who tried hard I studied hard I enjoyed learning at school so I guess I was a nerd did you get like bullied people... no I wouldn't say I got bullied but people used to call me and my friends the boffins oh. I don't know if kids still use that word nowadays they say neek you're a neek just like nerd and geek I've never heard of that is that a London thing maybe it's also slightly derogatory but yeah I was called a boffin mm. just because I did decently i didn't do like particularly well but yeah i was pleased with my school days yeah that's that was my kind of group of friends we were the boffins um i was head boy at my school were so, you oh yeah not voted by the student population just appointed by the teachers <laughs> oh really oh that's how your yeah, school did it yeah it wasn't a popularity thing Ours was a heavily a popularity thing. I didn't get it, clearly. <laughs> but um, what social group were you in, Ben? Yeah, I was also exactly a boffin. So I guess, yeah, um, that was it. That's kind of, but that that's weird because it wasn't like, it wasn't like we were all, like our group of friends was was trying to do particularly geeky things it was just that label was applied by everyone else i guess for doing well okay so let's get into some some proper discussion um why did you both decide to work with teenagers what drove you into that let's hear from ollie first well i never expected to go into full-time ministry in general um i actually only became a christian when i was 16 and i think that played a big part because Actually, the stats tell us that the majority of Christians today be became Christians. They came to faith in their adolescent years. And I think, you know, I know that for me, that was a, a time when I was questioning not just life and like the meaning of life, but, you know, my own identity and, you know, where where I fit into it all. Um, so I think, yeah, just knowing that the teenage years are such an important stage of life. And for me, becoming a Christian at the age of 16 was a, such a huge thing to happen. I mean, you know, it gave me my identity for life. Um, and really my church youth group was just a place that very quickly became where I felt at home. Um, my youth leaders really invested in me by spending time with me, caring for me. And, you know, that's really stuck with me um, and led to me wanting to do the same for youth today. So I really just love being involved in young people's lives. I think their their lives are really interesting. Um, there's always stuff going on. There's always, you know, 
there's always a need. Drama. There's always drama. And there's always a need for support as you find your feet, you know, at that age. Um, so I just, yeah, I really love doing youth work. Um, never expected it to happen. And have often been asked, you know, when are you going to graduate from youth ministry and move on to real <laughs> ministry? Um, what? But they say that? It's been said. But, you know, I, I always obviously make the case that ministry to teenagers is real ministry because actually there is no mm. other life stage where you're going through so much change and pressure and everything all just like piled into one. Um, and I think, yeah, I just, I just really find it a privilege actually to get to go through some really big milestones and um, yeah, just be part of young people's lives as they're discovering who they are and, you know, just navigating the big wide world. Mm, that's really cool. Nancy, do you have a, a similarly deep answer? <laughs> uh, well, also, I didn't plan on doing youth work either. Um, kind of fell into it. But um, I think I stayed at home for university, so I didn't actually experience the full-fledged university life living away from home. And even then, um, I think I, I still served in the youth group back then. Um, like, it just just felt normal just to continue on. You know, they were my friends. Um, I had older leaders investing in me, like leading me into leadership um, and guiding me there. But I think I didn't intend to go back to it until I think probably, yeah, when I, when I came, well, when I moved back to the UK from overseas and and the opportunity came up to intern at um, BCEC back then, and the focus was on the youth. And I was exploring, you know, is this for me? And and I think through that season, that early on in the stage, God really made it clear, you know, this is I've come full circle. You know, I've I've led you out, um, done some ministry overseas, uh, experienced some form of, you know, just just dealing with my identity and then coming back full circle. Um, actually, it was um, Pastor Bert's wife, uh, Fan, who led me to Christ. She was my youth leader back, back then. And, and both of them had some form of impact in my faith formation as a teenager, 14 years old. And so I think even just coming back and being immersed in a Chinese church and helping with the teens, like I think God really highlighted to me that I am a BBC, just like these teenagers. They also, you know, have a lot. They could they could deal with um, they could do with having a big sister who is further along the line in in her faith um, to mentor and disciple them. And I think when just God just kept on telling me, you know, this is this is the plan that I have for you um, to to raise up the next generation of youths because you were once a youth you understand their issues you are, you understand the issues of you know identity crisis and you know the the um dual heritage and and all of those different complexities of being in a in a chinese family but yet living in a white country and 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 so like i think for me it was just god making it clear to me even even through you know, interactions with people that I used to be friends with, that you used to be in the youth group. And I think for me, it's, it's such a massive calling, but it's a calling that I could not ignore, um, to, to do youth work because it is tiring and there is a lot of work that needs to be done. Um, and I'm sure we'll be, we'll, we'll keep talking about this, but the, the teenage generation is, it's always shifting and always changing. Um, but it is, as Ollie said, it is a privilege to, to do it. Um, and yeah, for me, I, I feel like I am an, at an advantage because I do understand, um, the complexities of, you know, the race thing and the faith thing. Um, and even just, yeah, faith formation at that young age, um, is, it's a good one, but it's, yeah, that, that age, you are very fragile and very sensitive um, and you are exploring the world. Um, and for me, I, yeah, I didn't grow up in a church. Um, I didn't grow up going to church. My family don't go to church. My family still aren't believers. But but um, but to me, I, 
I can see that there is a need to reach teenagers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We, we have very similar uh, experiences of, of being called into youth ministry, except I'm Funny not that, a BBC. Huh? <laughs> but you married a BBC. I did. So, yeah. Yeah. But, um, but no, it's, it's cool because I think, I think it's definitely a very specific calling. Not everybody is called to do youth work. Um, but I think some people get called to do youth work for a season of their life. But I think for me, it's, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's a difficult one. And from time to time, I'll have a rough patch and I'll be like, God, are you, you know, do, do you want me to quit? Do you want me to leave and change ministry or even just to leave full-time ministry in general? And the answer is no, mm-hmm. you're staying. Yeah. <laughs> I think people assume that working with young people is somehow easier just because they're young. Um, almost like you can practice on them because it doesn't matter because, you know, they've, they've still got time to, patch things That's up not true. and find the you know find their way but actually yeah i'm sure you'll agree it's it's just such an important life stage because what happens to you when you're a teenager really does kind of set things out for the future it does it shapes your future actually yeah. um even though we tell the teens, you know, oh, even if you make the wrong career choice now, that's not the be all and end all. Even if you fail at this, you know, this test, this chemistry test that you're revising for and you ask for prayer on a Sunday um, because, you know, you need to revise for it for Monday. Like that's not going to determine your future. But I still think that the faith formation part in the teenage life, it does shape their identity. It's, it's part of their foundation as to maturing from being a child to becoming an adult eventually. Mm. Yeah, it is very important. Yeah. It's crazy time, teenagers. Did you find, so when you, I think it sounds like we were both kind of serving in youth ministry before going into full-time ministry. Obviously back then we were a lot younger and closer to the age of the people that we were leading almost. Yeah. Did you find that? Yeah like tougher that you know when you're when you're still young yourself and you're actually not that much further along in life from the people you're serving like is that did you find that quite uh, easy or tough yes and no so i think back then they see you as closer in age so they there's an element of trust um but then at the same time i'm at that age where i'm like or I don't really want to listen to the older leaders because, you know, they're old fashioned and things like that. Mm. So now, now that I'm an older leader, I'm thinking, oh, they must think, do they think that about me? And and sometimes I get inklings of that, the hints of that. Um, but I see that there is a need for younger leaders that are closer in age to the teenagers to have that element of accountability and trust built up. But it can get complicated when, you know, hormones and attraction and and all sorts happen. <laughs> Did you find that the case, um, Ollie? Like, was it beneficial for you to be a leader close to that age range back then? Yeah, I mean, I think actually I was I was nurtured for leadership, like even when I was still a teen myself. Uh, you know, give, being given responsibilities or like, you know, facilitating a small group and, you know, things like that. Yeah. And actually I think that was for our generation, that was a way of empowering us and bringing us into leadership. And for me, I really benefited from that because actually I think it was when I started leading that I grew even more, I think like through, yeah, through um, learning how to lead and, you know, just really learning on the job. Actually, I found that for you know, my personal growth, it really took off at that point. Um, but yeah, I'm just a- aware that, it probably started out as just being more like an older brother or, you know, just someone who people could feel comfortable around and chat to. But obviously that has, you know, that changes as you get older, as the the gap increases, you know, you become oh, much more gap. aware that actually, actually that's the thing about generations now is that they, you know, generations are, the, the rate of change is so much more rapid. And, you know, we're already kind of, two generations away from the people that we're serving. And yet we're still considered young people in the wider church community ourselves. Yes, um, yes. And you're just, yeah, constantly aware that actually the youth 
there are a lot of differences. But I think for those of us who are called to youth ministry, there is that desire to still want to be involved in young people's lives. And, you know, I think we very much see it as this is where I want to make an impact. And, you know, God willing, if this is where, you know, he wants to use me, then I want to stay here. I want to keep ministering to this group of people because they are going to keep changing and evolving. And, you know, what we get to do is have an input in actually setting them up for the future um, and whatever that's going to look like. So I find it just really exciting and really interesting to be, yeah, to be part of youth ministry. Definitely. I mean, like the the young ones, the year seven, year eights, they keep getting younger. No. <laughs> or is it just us getting older? Um, but but definitely, I think there is a need for us as older people now, <laughs> we're in our 30s, um, to raise up the next generation of leaders. Um, yeah. There is that need there, yeah, to continue on just passing on the baton, really. See, that's, that's really interesting. I mean, I also was um, kind of, uh, had lots of opportunities to lead uh, as a as a older teen and then as a student um, back in my home church, uh, and I was thinking about like what what younger leaders do bring and all of that that stuff about um, you know uh, being able to relate to them and and stuff and that that's great. But actually, when I was a younger teen, we didn't really have other role models to look up to, and and our older um, youth leaders were not people that that we um, that that I don't think anyone said. Oh, like these people are too old. These people are so out of touch. Even though they were um, definitely a generation away from from where we were. Um, so it's I I feel like actually maybe a younger leaders is is the benefit more for training them in leadership rather than what they can bring to uh to youth work in general does that make sense both i think without kind of disparaging them i think i think there's definitely a need to train them um but there's also a need for them to build up the younger ones as well um yeah there's a beauty in that for example where's that bible verse (laughs) timothy 1 timothy 4 12 don't look don't let anyone look down on you that one, because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech and conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. So what's that? That's Isn't that Paul training up Timothy? Um, mm. Yeah, there's definitely a need there. I think what's interesting about that verse is it's Timothy's, uh, Timothy's the one that, that has to position himself so that people can't look down on him right? Paul's saying, you have to make sure that you are setting a good example, that you are um, showing good conduct. And if you're not doing those things, then maybe people will look down on you for being young because you're, you might look immature or whatever. So I guess it's, um, it's, it's helping people move into uh, another stage of maturity and leadership, but also maybe being, being quite careful because I, I'm, what I'm thinking, the, the, my line of thought is, um, I know so many people like my peers um, or, or just people that I've worked with um, over the years who maybe were, were in a young leader position and maybe weren't that suited to it. Um, and so we, I think we just have to be really careful about who we, who we give those opportunities to as well. Mm. Yeah, I guess there is a danger of that, right? We see it in. Um, let's let's not talk about big names. Um, <laughs> I try not to name names, but we have a certain uh, youth camp opportunity to serve and train <laughs> leaders. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> and um, we've seen it through the generations. How, um, yeah, we train up teenagers uh after they finish this certain camp after 18 and they go off to university that is a good time you know for them to train and and do youth work and and many times they'll come they'll come to camp and they'll serve but then they may not necessarily take it seriously um maybe because you know 
like it 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 could just be for social or it could just be you know for for glory um and it's and it is really sad but then you do get the other gems where you are training them and you you know that this this candidate is a potential for great things in future and many times they are actually um there's a remnant of those that um that do go further and and it's always such an honor to be part of their journey yeah i think because you know we we're aware that each generation is so different so the way that you raise up the next generation of leaders is always going to look different to the last but one thing that's consistent and i think it's what we see in paul and timothy as well is that it's a releasing but with that releasing there has to be responsibility that's passed on so like ben said you know mm. it's paul is saying to timothy you are the one who is ultimately responsible for how you carry yourself and that will affect how other people look at you and i think we we all want to pass on that responsibility because that's probably what we experienced ourselves and you know when i think about past generations of leaders who i would look up to you know they were very responsible people they they really had this sense of we you know if not us then who and so i think they passed that on and we've kind of taken that responsibility so that's something i notice is that when i think back to when i was like a teen or put in a, a position of being a young leader myself me and my peers i think we we got a lot out of you know we grew a lot we got a lot out of youth ministry because we really put the effort in we really took up the responsibility we took initiatives to like set things up make things happen and i think there's an element of when we pass that on to the next generation we want to see them do the same but it's you also you kind of have to hold back as well because actually it is releasing you need to trust them there's got to be that element of trust right but actually it's yeah. it's hard when you see them not taking initiative or you see them not you know picking up the responsibility like we experienced you kind of want to just like shake them up and and give them what they need but actually i think it's better for them in the long run if we realize that they're not going to be doing things exactly the same way that we did um and that actually we need to be part of that releasing process like we're here to give you the stability and you know when you know if they need to conduct themselves with more purity more love more faith they still need role models they still need people to look to to see that yeah. being lived out but ultimately we're going to have to trust them and and all we can do is is really step back at, at some point i guess do you trust the current generation of teenagers ollie <laughs> I trust the God in who they have hope. <laughs> <laughs> Good answer. <sighs> I guess, yeah. I mean, it, are you asking that, Nancy? Are you are you saying that there's a fundamental difference between like this generation and the last generation and the, and the previous generation? Is that is that the? Are there the, differences though? That's my question. Are, are you asking that because? there's something trustworthy or untrustworthy about gen z or are you just saying like you're talking about the particular teens in your churches because yeah can you honestly say that oh now i sound really old can you honestly say that a lot of our current generation of teens not just specifically within our churches now i'm just talking like you know, across the big spectrum. Um, this, this generation I've seen have more influence online. They have a lot of say. There's a lot of social action and justice that they all speak out. And, you know, we saw it all with the BLM um, this, you know, during, during this year and, you know, people using their voices online. But but yet there's a lot of movement online and there's a lot of worldly wisdom that they consume through Netflix, through, you know, their social media consumption, through gaming. But are they a generation that is necessarily following God? That's a question I want to ask. Like, are they getting there? Are they being conformed to the world or are they being transformed by God? That's what I want to know. Hmm. Well, I think what I find interesting is that this this is a generation or people nowadays in general have access to more information than ever before right and that's always going to yeah. be growing and expanding with the internet mm. um and yet we could say perhaps from a 
faith perspective, that this is also the generation that is perhaps lacking wisdom the most. So even though they have the most information available at their fingertips, that doesn't necessarily translate into wisdom or processing that information in a way that is actually transformational for them. Yes. Um, And so I think that actually it is a big challenge to how we minister to that generation. How do we present to them the truth of the gospel when actually it's a generation where for, you know, for whom there is no truth, really, everything is relative. Um, There's always another opinion out there or, you know, it's, it's all about how it makes me feel. Um, And that's a real challenge because actually even from simple things like learning styles and how do we engage with that down to actually, how do we talk to these people about faith and about, you know, who they are, their identity in God, when actually they've got so many voices just coming at them from all angles. That's the real challenge. It is a massive challenge. But I also know that if you are a proper sheep, you would recognize the shepherd's voice. <laughs> so how do we as, you know, um, trying to shepherd this this bunch of flock, how do we teach them to listen to God? And And it just comes down to us as leaders to practice listening to God as well. Like, because we're just as confused <laughs> yeah. in this world as well. And I think it's actually like, it's a style issue in some ways, because your style may change, you know, the generation may look different in the way that they do things. But fundamentally, their needs are basic human needs, and that doesn't change. And that, you know, that's the same for all yeah. of us. Um, and yeah. so actually, that's that's what's exciting about youth ministry as well, is that we know that we've got one gospel that is never changing, but the way mm. that we communicate it can change. And I think we need to be okay with that. And I think sometimes there's a fear in churches, especially from you know previous generations, um, who think that actually by doing that, we're watering down the gospel or we're diluting it um, to make it more kind of bite-sized and more snappy because that's what this generation needs. Hi. But I don't think that's necessarily the case. I think it's, it's a challenge, definitely, but it's about finding ways to communicate the same truth, but just in new ways without... Contextualization. Yeah, without losing the integrity <laughs> of, of that message. Yeah. It is possible absolutely. because actually that's... It's exactly. It's been exactly the same throughout all the generations over the last couple of thousand years. It's just perhaps now we're more aware that that's something that's happening, and the you know the rate of change is so much more rapid now. So we're kind of it's noticeable that each generation is different. I think. I think the fundamental thing is is that yeah, th- we have an unchanging God. But God is able to make things happen and transform us to bring about change in us. Um, so I think it is knowing that everybody's core fundamental needs are what we want to feel loved, we want to be loved, um, we are known by God, um, and we have a purpose in life. And I think that also follows suit with the teenagers um, more so because that is that pivotal point in their their life where they are exploring, you know, they're going from being a child to an adult um, and they're exploring boundaries and trying to figure out what is my purpose in life, you know, hence their career options and, you know, choosing subjects. Um, am I loved? And that is, you know, they will be experimenting with romantic relationships. They'll be learning about, you know, their relationship with their family and even amongst their peers and I think, what was the other one? Um, oh, yeah, known. Known. Am I known? And yeah, they are known by God. Um, but do they know God? And I think this is where it's our responsibility, not just the youth leaders, not just the youth pastors, but everybody is involved in being a contributing voice to the young people's life. To tell them about to tell them about the gospel, to tell them about how God knows them. Yeah, I think you're right. And actually, even though the way we kind of do ministry these days, the way that we um, organise our church, our church ministry, you know, we have a youth ministry, but that's not to say that the rest of the church isn't involved. 
And actually, I think we need to remember that we have youth ministries because young people have very specific needs at that stage of life where it's helpful to have people who can speak into that directly. And that's where we contextualize the gospel for their needs. But then that's, that also takes place within a wider context of you still need role models. You still need, you know, aunties and uncles and big brothers and sisters who are not necessarily in the sphere of youth, youth ministry, but they're still there. They're still surrounding young people and showing them that love that they need to feel and, you know, that, you know, passing on all of that kind of stuff. It's, you know, we're a family at the end of the day. Um, and I think back to, the early church in the book of Acts and, you know, how it doesn't say that they had certain home groups just for teenagers and certain home groups just for married and young professionals, you know, those kind of the ways that we categorize things, but you know, we still need the specifics, but we also need to just be the the body of Christ that we're called to be. And, and God uses that. God uses that to, you know, speak from one generation to the next. And I think that's really important as well. Here's a question. At what point do young people look at the old leaders like us like us, and think, oh, you're so old fashioned. Would you just be quiet? Do you know, do you know what I mean? Like, do you ever feel that or no? Like, do, do, do you think that old leaders, there's, there's a big gap between the old leaders and the young ones? Did you feel this when you were a teenager? To a degree, only for certain leaders, the leaders that wouldn't listen to me. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that answers my question. I need to listen to the young ones. <laughs> yeah, because I, I was thinking, I don't, I don't think that's how, um, that's not my experience of, of being a teenager and growing up with other teenagers. Uh, people, like, you wouldn't be like, oh, that teacher's so old, so therefore they don't know anything you might not like someone a, a teacher or a or a youth leader or whatever because of many different reasons but i don't think their age or their generation in, inherently stops them from being able to offer wisdom um, or be seen as a mentor but, but that's you speaking as an older person now did you think that when you were a teenager no Ooh, that's what that I'm person no, has I'd... a lot of wise wisdom this yoda teacher for some people definitely yeah okay yeah and it, it comes down to to the individual i think i think really it's it's about are you going to take um are you going to take the teenagers seriously or are you going to patronize them because if you patronize them then you've mm. got no chance um but i think if you take someone take them seriously and respect them i don't see why they would why they would just write you off because of your age yeah just because you don't have TikTok or I don't even know any other any other references, uh, yeah, I, th I think I think it's it's more down to how you interact with them. Hmm. Yeah, I think you're right because yeah. ultimately it's it's about the relationship you have, isn't it? And young people will always respect people who treat them like they are equals, like they are also human beings with the same kind of needs. I think they really value that. But at what point do you as a leader, okay, what, at what point, oh, I feel like we're going off tangent here. <laughs> at what point do you, you're meant to treat them with respect and as equals, but at what point should you not treat them as equals? Because there will come a time where you as a leader have to rebuke. Yeah, I think probably the time is when you, when you know that you know better. <laughs> but do they know that you know better? That's the difficult part: is helping them to see <laughs> that actually, you know what, <laughs> I've been there, and trust me on this one. Um, yeah, I think it's just it's passing on to them. Actually, wisdom is probably it comes from experience, right? They yes. respect that you have had your own experiences and that you're not just lecturing them with information or facts. You're actually sharing an experience that you've had and, you know, stories really change people's lives. They inspire. 
And I think that's what young people need is inspiration. And when they see that in you and they see that actually this is not a scary old person who is just like straight faced staring at me, telling me the do's and don'ts, but this is actually someone who's showing they care by telling me that whenever they went through something similar, that's what they learned from it. And actually I can see, this is what young people need is to see how what other people have learned can be useful to them, how it makes sense to them in their position in the world and who they are and what they can bring. Do you think that there's an element of parenting? Mm. <laughs> See, that's a good question because I struggle with that because actually I know that we're not we're not there to take the place of parents and mm-hmm. we wouldn't be able to actually. Um Maybe it's just wishful thinking that I like to think of myself as an older brother for forever. <laughs> <laughs> there are some cheeky youths in my youth group who call me Sok Sok, which is Chinese uncle. for uncle. Um, yes, they know who they are. But yeah, I don't think we can take the place of parents, but it's... Yeah, there's something about that relationship of being like an older brother or sister who is just you're a bit further along in the journey so you you kind of you still know where they're coming from you've still got one foot in their generation in that sense that you know it wasn't too long ago um, and you're just sharing what you what you've learned whereas I guess parents I'm not a parent but what is the job of parents I guess you know it's a lot more defined that a parent yeah what a parent's role is in some ways I think it's interesting because my original reaction was no, no, youth work is not the same as as parenting, and and there's there's lots that it yeah is not you're not a school teacher and you're not a parent and so you you're not doing either of those jobs. Um, but then on the other hand, I think actually, in terms of spiritual life, I think maybe seeing seeing youth leaders as Spiritual parents is could be a good thing um, because not every not every teen in your youth group is going to come from a Christian background, um, and so they they aren't they might not have um, a, an older family member who they can talk to about faith. Um, so I think I think maybe spiritually, perhaps uh, it's a good thing to think of it that way. Yeah. And I guess, yeah, parenting is a bit more clear cut in that, you know, parents teach you right from wrong. And as much as we also want to communicate right from wrong, sometimes, you know, I think of experiences, some of the deepest, you know, I guess most profound moments that I can remember in youth ministry have actually been saying to a young person, I don't think what you're doing is right. I completely disagree with what you're doing, but I'm still here for you and I still care for you. And actually those moments are really tough because you know, you know, you've tried so hard to say, you know, from a, from a Christian perspective, living a certain way is, is not about legalism, um, but it's about what's best for you. And actually I know I can see because from the experiences that I've had, I can see that the choices you're making right now are not what's best for you. And you know that, and I don't want to keep shoving that down your throat. So now I'm at the point where I'm just going to say to you, you know what I think about it, but I'm still here to care for you. I'm still here to listen. And if that's what you need until you get to a point where you can figure things out, then that's the role that I will play. Um, and actually I find that in those moments it's been, you know, that's, I've been a lot closer than when I'm actually just telling people stuff and hoping that it's going to stick and hoping that it's going to, you know, transform them when actually it's what they need is just, to be loved and to be cared for. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Should, should we move on to then more specifically, what kind of challenges are teens facing this year? What do you think, Ben, with the pandemic going on? Yeah, that's what I'm asking you. <laughs> There's a pandemic going I'm on? I'm asking you guys as, as the experts. Are we really the experts? I don't think we are. <laughs> You're the ones in contact with the teens. <laughs> well, you say that, but interestingly, 
just this is just something I want to get off my chest. I was so frustrated at the beginning of this whole lockdown thing because I found it really hard to even communicate, like even to get anything out of the teens that I work yeah. with. Um, I think Same. maybe they just went into shock and they just kind of shut down and they were just trying to figure things out. But part of me was just like, hello, like you guys are all at home all the time now. I, kn- I know that you don't have a lot going on <laughs> in terms of how oh, you're spending yeah. your time, but it was just really hard to actually get a conversation. Was it all your teens? No, but it was a majority. Um, and so that we, made things I, I extra have, hard because yeah. then it, it took a lot longer to actually pick things up and then to get get some kind of momentum going of, you know, we're still here, we still want to journey together, we still want to come together, albeit online. Mm. Um, but yeah, right at the beginning of lockdown, that was really hard. I think people just went into a, a kind of hibernation. Have Have the majority of those hibernated come out of it? Yes. Okay. But not all. Yeah, because cause there's some that I've not heard of completely during this whole time. Yeah. No response. And actually, I think a lot of people who then realised, you know, this is something we've just got to navigate. We've got to work out this new normal. Um, and we did our best. And obviously, you know, we've been doing stuff and keeping mm. the journey going, still gathering online and doing what we can. But I think now, as you know, we're at the end of the year, we've kind of seen a full circle and the people who did engage, they've, we've, I think we've all just got this like screen fatigue, right. And we've just hit this kind of barrier where we're just feeling like, actually I've given it my best shot. I've really tried to engage and relate to people, but I just don't feel like I can keep, keep this up much longer. Like we really need to go back to some sense of familiarity. Um, And I think a lot of people are really at that place right now. Definitely. Cause, cause for me it was, um, yeah, I understand that there were some that just went into hibernation mode and have not heard from them since. And then some came out, actually some were really good. They were really like, you know, they wanted to talk. They wanted to get things off their chest at the start of lockdown. This is all really scary. Let's pray. But, um, I think as the months have gone on, yeah, definitely there's, there's screen fatigue. And since schools have opened back up, there's been a lot more pressure for academics to pick back up. And I think I've seen a decrease in teens just putting their faith first now because, you know, they are getting their social time at school and they're also getting a lot of pressure to perform academically because we they don't know about next year's exams. They don't know, you know, what the deal is. There's still a lot of confusion there, but I think that, it has put a strain on their workload due to the lockdown and going online and all these disruptions. Yeah, definitely. And I think that... So I think it's caused a disruption to their faith. Sorry. Yeah, it has. And I think that, um, you know how generally with young people, there's this element of, oh, I'll go if she goes or that kind of thing. I think there's been a lockdown version of that where people just, everyone's at home, everyone's feeling completely wiped out and disorientated and not really, you know, not sure what's going on, what's going to happen. So much anxiety and uncertainty about the future. But actually, if if they all came together and shared in that common experience, I think that would that would solve a lot of it because actually people just need to have that togetherness and to go on that journey together. But the difficult part has been just encouraging young people to do that because they, I think a lot of them have been kind of, isolating themselves even more than physically isolating just actually like taking your removing yourself from your usual network and actually that's one of the most unhelpful things you can do um, because we need to pull them together but ollie how do you know that they've not been doing that by themselves um through well (laughs) are you saying that they don't want to come to my youth group No, so so I I caught wind recently how um, some those that are friends with other people in their youth group or within the youth network across the UK um, through this uh, network that we did not talk about. Um, <laughs> Is this some sort of like um, contractual? 
No, 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 no. It's a, it's through it's through our usual camp network. People know other youths from other cities, and um, they're friends. And there is some element of support, and I'm happy to hear that. That you know they still keep in touch with, you know, people that they made friends with at camp. People that you know are Christians. And I, from what I heard recently, I had I had a teen who's 18 years old, gap year now. Um, we were trying to get him um, to to be part of you know training him and mentoring him, but but he's MIA and but I recently caught wind that he was hanging out online gaming with the Londoners and and I heard you know it was it was all your teens Ollie um, <laughs> that there was a support network and I was just like I was so happy that you know these teens online now they're not bound by geography they're just you know they're free to go online and just have that support and network and that's really encouraging to hear for me yeah even though they're not coming to the youth group but i i'm still happy to hear that you know they're they're gaming with other brothers and sisters in christ yeah no i agree but i think how amazing is that that is really good and i think it's always great when you know when youth take up their own initiative and you know especially keep mm. relationships going but i do think that they get to a point where even they feel like those relationships are lacking a bit of purpose and they need a bit of a nudge or somebody to come alongside and actually give give those groups um some sort of yeah purpose mm. um which i hope that we we'll, we'll be able to do actually i remember when when things was kind of reopening and you know in the summer um, there was the whole eat out to help out and people were starting to meet up outdoors in little groups. I remember going to, in central London, uh, a new bubble tea shop that had opened. And it was like, I think I've, I saw more people from not just my church, but you know Chinese churches from other cities. People were like traveling to see people and just in the queue, there's a huge queue outside this place. And I just like saw maybe like 10 people from various church networks in that queue at this bubble tea shop. And I was just like, wow. And you know, they were there with someone, like they'd come to meet someone. So yeah. they were still meeting up and they were still, yeah, keeping things going. But I think generally, I mean, you know, like we've talked about your adolescent years, us is already so full of change and pressure, like just so much yeah. pressure. It's like, you're already, you know, gearing towards something. There's always like the next exam or there's the next like big thing going on as well as, puberty and hormones and relationships and all the rest of it and I think this pandemic has really just been like it's made that like walking up a downwards escalator because what whatever <laughs> yeah. you know you've already got so much going on you're really trying hard and whatever stability you did have has just been pulled from under your feet and I think that's what's made it extra hard is actually what what all people need but especially young people I would say is a sense of stability and a sense of you know, um, I don't want to say discipline, but you know what I mean? Like the spiritual disciplines, you actually need to get into the habit of, of doing things. And I think it's when, when those habits have slipped, when people are not kind of joining their fellowship group and outside yeah. of that, they're also not, you know, really putting in the effort and taking that personal responsibility. Then those are the people who are kind of falling away and who we really need to be reaching out to um, and just giving that mm. nudge. Yeah. I, yeah. That, that is very valid. Yeah. I totally agree. But I think it's also, there is a lack of accountability though, from what I've seen as well, from the Christian, Christian individuals that take initiative and meet with other Christians. We, I, I don't know. I guess it's a case of just trusting God to know that, you know, they're going to be okay accountability wise, because we we don't know what goes on unless we hear it through the grapevine or they they tell us. Yeah. We try to find you out. Know. We we make <laughs> other people's business our business. Hey, that's not that's not my business. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I only get involved if they come to me. <laughs> but but no, I think I think it is they they're also learning, right? The adolescents now. I think I think the teenage years is prolonged. Would you agree with that statement? Yes. It's definitely prolonged to, I think, once they graduate from university. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. I feel like I I still do 
work with young people now as opposed to just teenagers. Yeah. Because the issues are, you know, high school, yes, there's a lot of change there. There's a lot of faith formation. But then it's also, how do I apply this faith to my life? And then there's a whole going off to university. That's a massive transition. And the parents letting go of their kids. And then there's a whole issue of student ministry, even though I try not to dabble in student ministry, but somehow it comes back. <laughs> like yeah. one or two students just keep coming back. Um, and you have to deal with it because, you know, they're dealing with drama or like, um, you know, issues at home. And then, and then there's a the whole issue of going from university to graduating to starting young adult life through having, you know, a job, disposable income and all of that jazz. So there's so many transitions that I feel as a youth pastor, I have to help disciple and navigate them with through um but when the groups are gathering by themselves during lockdown there's not a lot of accountability i must put it that way <laughs> like we just trust that god is helping them to grow and to have the wisdom yeah so i, I think that's really interesting um because I feel like we have kind of we see a similar thing with uh with the the wider church uh when we're trying to we're trying to reach out and, and minister to a church where everyone's in their homes and you know you don't know if they're if they're tuning in on a Sunday or or if they're tuning in while they're doing something else. Um, they're definitely doing something else. Yeah, right. I mean, you and me, we all do something else while we're tuning into church. Yeah. Um <laughs> and so there's there's a there's this decentralization of um of looking after your faith of discipleship that has to happen because as a pastoral team we can't we can't connect with people in the same way that we would if we could see them in real life. And mm. we can't connect with all the members of our church. Um, uh, do you think that's a bad thing? Cause I think it's, I think it's, it's, it's actually, it's definitely a challenge. Um, and I can imagine it's more of a challenge probably with teenagers than it is with, um, with, with grownups. But even though it's a challenge, it feels like maybe that's a bit more like the church in Acts than um our current model of church you know where where you come and it's kind of this very top-down approach of like here's the i will put you in this bible study group or um you know uh and actually i i feel like you want the church to be organic you want people to be taking the initiative and and saying oh this thing isn't isn't quite right for me so let's start something else let's let's make something else happen and i think that's a good thing but it's also scary because as a leader you don't know what's going on or you might not know what's going on yeah i suppose the positive is that those who actually choose to log on and join online church stuff do so because they choose to and they actually mm. want to be there um whereas normally we would kind of have you know, maybe half the youth group are just there because their parents are in the Chinese service and it's the place for them to go. Um, so at least we can be intentional because we know that the people we have who are engaging actually want to be there and actually want to grow. But then on the flip side of that, we still want to reach the others. Um, and we still have people who are there because actually they have the social connections. And so they're, they're there because that's what they're used to, um, which is not necessarily a bad thing, but we still need to kind of cater for them as well. Um, so they're pros and cons really, aren't they? Mm. I think, I think what applies normally can apply to this lockdown season. And that is know who are hungry and feed them. Like, I know that there's always going to be people that are lost and um, out there that need reaching out to, but I think that there is a need to help those first and foremost that are hungry and want to get fed first. Um, 
because they feeding them can then trickle, you know, outwards. So recently we did um, a youth service, mm. and um, and there's this one girl in my youth group that um, I asked her to do to take over the prayer section, you know, for the video, um, the service, and 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 she was able, like, she's healthy, like spiritually healthy, because she's, you know. I've been keeping tabs with her and, you know, um, and she, and she's been really good on it and with her faith. And, and she took responsibility of that and she was able to then, you know, like I, I know for a fact that she's also been speaking to the other teenagers that haven't been coming to youth group that have been doing their own thing. Um, you know, do, you know, you know, just playing their own games and doing things. So, so I know that, there's this individual teenager girl who is reaching out and that excites me. This is, this is discipleship, mm. you know, but, but at the same time, it's like, oh, I've not, I've not seen these other girls for such a long time. That makes me a bit sad, but then I need to remember that it's not about me and my leading them directly, but it's indirectly leading them. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, so it's, where am I going with this point? How did I get here? <laughs> I think I know what you're saying because then it's it really highlights that actually we need to recognize our own limitations I think and know that we can only invest in so many people you know like Jesus did and actually that is discipleship when they then take that on and take the initiative and it it spreads outwards and I think with young people especially that's so much more effective they would much rather hear something from a peer and it, you know, they connect with it and it makes sense, you know, compared to us oldies, but we're, st- our place is still needed. We're still needed to, to speak that into them, to give them that empowerment really, and to release them to go and do that and to guide them, to be there, to guide them along the way. And I think that's what I find really exciting. Yeah. When you see that in action it is, it's so exciting. It just makes you feel so, is accomplished the right word? I mean, this is the thing with youth ministry. I think that we talk about how challenging it is and, oh, you know, whoa, more woe us is, is so hard. But actually, it's also really easy at the same time because I think we we can say that it's it's not our responsibility to transform young people's lives. We can't do that. Only God can do that. Um, yeah. And so actually all we can do is, is lead them to him and release them. And then when we see what God does with that, it is amazing. Jolly, do you feel like your um, social media has increased? In lockdown? During lockdown, yeah. Probably. Your exposure? Probably, but then I think I was always... We were both on it, active anyway. But do you feel like you were more active during lockdown? Yeah, because I think there's probably that element of fear, if fear is the right word, that if you're not, then who are you missing, like possible contact with? Um, and just wanting to be like keeping your finger on the pulse of what's going on. I think, yeah, you definitely feel like social media is where where people are and where they're engaging. It's almost like social media is our church for the young people. Yeah. And actually, can you imagine if if this kind of pandemic happened in a time when we didn't have all of the social media and, you know, <laughs> platforms available. It would be horrible. What would we have done? Yeah, it would be Write crazy, letters, <laughs> deliver them by pigeon. Imagine how, like, we're finding it hard now. There are still people who are just not switching on and we're not hearing from them. How much harder would that have been if we didn't even have all of this technology? But, I mean, in some ways, I think that's, you know, it positions youth ministry or younger people um, you know, we were we were out of the whole church. We were the most prepared in some ways because we we'd already been making videos for for years. Because of course, young people love yeah. videos. <laughs> and, yeah, absolutely. You know, we've already been using certain platforms for meetings for a number of years. Um, Online meetings, yeah. Yeah, and some in yeah. some ways we had to kind of help the rest of the church to catch up with that. But it may at least it means that young people are already familiar. It's just now putting they probably wouldn't have connected those things with church life and with faith. And so it's bringing that into a new kind of realm. Do you think, do you think a digital, I don't know what you want to call it, online church, digital 
evangelism ministry. Do you think that it's um, some, is it effective? I mean, it's what we've got right now. Like we've, we've got to use it, but do you think it's, do you think it's working? Yes and no. For some, yeah, we've managed to get some, draw draw people to church um, because it's really easy for them just to click and connect and just watch a church service now as opposed to physically step into one. But yet at the same time, it's been really hard to retain them, I think, because we don't know who has been watching unless they let themselves be known. And it's very rare to let for them to let themselves be known. Right? Because it's such a passive thing, if you think about it, digital church, mm. unless it's um like an interactive Zoom service. But even then, it's still very passive. Yeah, I guess it changes the dynamic, right? Because to a young person, being in a room with somebody doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to focus and be engaged. And actually, I can think of speaking to a room full of teenagers who are actually just on their phones and doing whatever. That's not uncommon. But I think even more so through a screen, you know, attention span, losing interest or just that temptation to have other things going on and to just disengage. You can be listening, but just not taking anything in. So I do think it does change the dynamic and it's not ideal. It's like you said, Ben, it's what we have. It's we do the best we can with it, but it cannot replace actually relating to someone. And actually, you know, we're, we're trying to share experiences of life transformation. Right. And I think that's, that's best done with an arm around a shoulder with an honest conversation and, you know, in a, in an environment where you're surrounded by a worshipful, prayerful community. Um, Mm. And that's so hard to achieve digitally. Mm. Although you do get the occasional, like, confessional chats through the form of Snapchat or other disappearing messages yeah as we know snapchat is a safeguarding nightmare (laughs) why tell the audience for those that don't aren't acquainted with this issue there are certain disclosures made from a young person to an a a responsible adult (laughs) that need to be recorded and reported or at least filed for future reference um Mm. which snapchat doesn't make easy so i'm not going to give away my secret but no you don't need to there are ways <laughs> yeah there are ways there are ways all right we're going to pause our conversation here for the week okay be sure to tune in next week uh, for the for the end half of our discussion about teenagers bye bye